pastored for 25 years, <clears throat> and my wife would tell you that if you cut me open, you would see that I have a pastor's heart. And uh, I think I do. However, uh, eight and a half years ago, um, I stepped out of the pastorate. And that was a pretty big decision uh, to make because I had believed that uh, pastoring is where God's gifted me and, and that's my part of being a part of the body of Christ. Uh, however, there was a great burden on my heart for the next generation. And so we stepped out of uh, the pastorate. I was pastoring First Baptist Church of Santa Maria, California. And uh, we went to West Coast Baptist College. And the purpose of that was to help train laborers for the harvest. Well, I have to tell you something. Of all the things of this weekend, and I have thoroughly enjoyed all of them, and I've definitely enjoyed being here at Liberty Baptist very, very much, and the conference and just the reception of the word, but I will tell you, the greatest joy that I've had this weekend is to see two of my students in the ministry. That's why I stepped out of the pastorate is to help train a Pastor Caleb, a, a, a Pastor Anthony. Um, that's why, so to be here this weekend and just to see the way the conference is run, the way Pastor runs the church, I got to tell you, there's no greater joy than to see your children walk in truth. Now, I don't think I have that big of fingerprints in these two lives, but I will tell you, if I've had any part at all in helping them be in the ministry and training them for ministry, I am absolutely thrilled after a weekend like this. And uh, to me, this is what it's all about. And that's why I stepped out of the pastorate, was to train a pastor, Caleb, to train a pastor, Anthony, for the cause of Christ and for the work of the ministry. So uh, it has been an absolute joy. Uh, there's also something I've never had happen before, but it's got the possibility it could happen tonight. I have never sold all of my books off the table before, and I'm down to two books, and uh, they're good ones too, and I want to mention them. Uh, pastor Chapel wrote both of these, my pastor. This one, I want to really encourage you to consider, it's called Keep the Faith, and every chapter is about issues of today that are trending and a biblical way to defend the faith. Critical race theory, there's a whole chapter on it right in here, uh, and there's several other areas that are trending right now from gender distinction and many different things on keep the faith. Because we believe we are at the end of time, this is a great book on understanding the times and especially with prophecy as well. So if you're interested in that, and we believe that at any moment we may hear that trumpet blow. Um, we think that this book would be a real help to you as well. And I will give you a really good price on either one of those. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. So, I was speaking at a camp a couple years ago. And uh, before I went to that camp, I had a physical, and my blood pressure was a little high. And my doctor, before she wanted to put me on a blood pressure medicine, she said, let's just regulate, let's just um, um, take your blood pressure um, throughout the day and just write it down and this type of thing. And I said, I was going to a camp, 
that had a clinic uh, there at the camp and that I could um, get my blood pressure checked twice a day. So I went to the camp and we did this. And I would go in the morning, I'd go in the afternoon, I'd get my blood pressure checked. So it was, I don't know, maybe the middle of the week or whatever, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't remember. But it was the afternoon time, and I came in the clinic, and she was doing some things. So I went over, and we had a little, you know, by this time a ritual, I'd come in, I'd jump up on the counter and kind of sit on the counter, and she'd come over and put the cuff on and and, and take my blood pressure. So I, I came in, I saw her busy, so I went over to the counter, and I sat up on the counter, and I waited for her. Well, she was putting some things away, and she opened up, of the cabinet. And when she opened up the cabinet, there were pill bottles everywhere. I mean, I'd say over 50. There were just all these pill bottles. And I asked the nurse, I said, hey, what what are those? And she said, oh. She said, Brother Shetler, those are the camper's medications. I said, oh. I said, "Like, like allergies? She laughed. She said, oh, no, the majority of those are antidepressants. And I said, wait a second. I'm at an independent Baptist camp, about 400 campers. There's got to be. Now, not every one of the pill things were antidepressants, but she said over half of them were. There had to be 30, 40 campers at that camp taking antidepressants. Independent Baptist camp. And I said, how can that be? She said, Brother Shetler, I shouldn't have to tell you. This generation is stressed out. They are living on fear and anxiety. And I'm going like, wow. Well, the more you, you, the more you read, the more you study. I can't believe how many Christian adults are living with so much anxiety and fear. And let me tell you something. COVID-19 revealed a lot about what we say we believe in. And a lot of us have struggled with a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. So I put together a message that I've entitled, Stop Freaking Out. Because we have a generation of believers in Jesus Christ, who are just freaking out. They are just, they are just so stressed out. And I want to talk to you. Now, what I did was I took the word fear, F-E-A-R, and I want to give you four principles on how to overcome fear, anxiety, and stress. And I'm kind of using those words synonymous. So we're in Luke chapter 8. Before we go there, we want to have a word of prayer But before we do that, I want to give you a definition, a definition of anxiety. And I tell you, if you write down anything tonight, would you write down the definition for anxiety? Because it alone will help you the rest of your life. Matter of fact, I pray that you will forget who gave this message, but you will never forget the definition of anxiety. Here it is. Anxiety. Taking on responsibility given to God. Anxiety. Taking on responsibility that should be given to God. 
In other words, you're freaking out about things and stressing out about things that you ought to be trusting God for. And you're taking the responsibility. Now, this is very interesting. If that definition is true, and I know it is, if that definition is true, we are going to see more and more anxiety and stress in our culture. And here's why. The more you kick God out of your culture, the more you have to rely on yourself. By the way, how's the big G doing? You know the big G. God, brother, no, government. How's that doing? That's, giving, that's taking away all the anxiety, right? We get a few checks from the government and we're like good to go, right? Yeah, it hasn't done anything. Do you know the only one that can take away that anxiety is the one you need to trust in, and that's God. The more we become a secular nation, the greater our stress, anxiety, and fear is going to be because we're going to take on responsibilities that should only be given to God. Now, I have to tell you something. I absolutely believe with all my heart we got the best student body in America at West Coast Baptist College. I think those 500 students, I just, I just love them. But I'm going to tell you something. It amazes me how many of these Bible college students that took this huge step of faith to come to college are stressing out. And I'll tell you what, they're, stre they're stressing out about their finances. Whoa, 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 whoa. Faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. Trust God. Did God call you here? Yes, Dr. Shetler, but I just don't think I'm going to make it. Wait a second. You're taking on responsibility you ought to give to God. There are so many of our college students that are stressed out because they say that they love God. I think that they do. They want to give their lives to God. I think that they do. But they take on responsibility that they need to trust God for. Now, I want you to see, we're not going to preach to college students tonight. We're going to preach to Liberty Baptists tonight. But look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 8. And I want to begin with a word of prayer. And then we're going to go ahead and read the scripture. And I want you to see a question that this question may change your whole life. Because you go like, well, I never saw that before. It's a great question that Jesus asked his disciples. Father, we want to be a help tonight to Liberty Baptist. Lord, I don't know if there's guest visitors here, but, but Father, our desire is to be a, a help biblically. Father, they've got to receive the word. I think, I think what we sow, I think the seed will be good tonight. I pray that the soil will receive the seed and it will germinate. Father, I think this will help some people for the rest of their life. And like as we've done for every message, I pray that we will also take what we hear at church and use it to help others as well. So Lord, I pray that maybe even this week, there would be believers in this auditorium tonight that would be able to sit down with somebody, open the Bible, and go through what we just went through on Sunday night church and maybe help somebody that's really taken on responsibility that they should give over to God, and they're stressing out. So, Lord, I pray for the truths of the Bible tonight. Father, if there is somebody in here that does not have faith in you, 
they are going to have a lot of anxiety and fear. I pray, Lord, in the name of Christ, that they would put their trust in you and you would become the object of their faith. Now, Lord, we give you the word. We pray in the passages we look at tonight, the Luke passage, the Joshua passage, the Isaiah passage, the Daniel passage, the Philippians passage, and the 1 John passage. I pray, Father, we'll be very helpful. Put your blessing upon these scriptures tonight and use them as you see fit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. God's trusting children said, amen. amen. All right, now Luke chapter 8, we're going to talk about the story of Jesus calming the storm. And that story starts in verse 22. However, I want you to begin at verse 19. Because something is said in these three verses, 19, 20, and 21, that is going to be absolutely pivotal for the story of calming the sea. Luke chapter 8, listen to verse 19. Then came to him, that would be Jesus, his mother, Mother Mary there, and his brethren. You know, Jesus did have brothers and sisters. They were half-brothers and sisters. They shared the same mother, but they didn't have the same father. Amen? Jesus didn't have an earthly father. He had a heavenly father. And, but they did share the same mother. And he was just as much man as if he was never God, and just as much God as if he was never man. So his brothers come and see him. One of them's going to write one of the books in the Bible later on in his life, James. Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. So they, there were so many people around Jesus, his own family couldn't get to him. And it was told him by certain which said, Yeshua, Yeshua, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to see thee. Now listen to his answer. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God. Hey, were you here for Sunday school this morning? And what? What's the last two words? And do it. Okay, so here's my family. My family are those that hear the word of God and do it. Okay, you got that? All right, we're all set. How do you get, you know, who's God's family? Those that hear the word and do the word. Okay, here we go. All right, now we're going to the story. Those that hear the word and do the word, those are his disciples, those are his brethren, that's his family. All right, verse 23. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he, Jesus, went into a ship with his disciples and he said, okay, those that are my family are those that hear my words and do them, okay? And he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. Hey, guys, we're going to get in the boat and we're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. What do we absolutely know now about the rest of the story? What one thing are we going to absolutely know? What did Jesus just say? Get in the boat 
and we're going to the other side. So what do we know is going to happen? What do we absolutely know? Because Jesus is the living word. So whatever Jesus says is the word of God because Jesus is the word and the word became flesh. So whatever Jesus says is the word of God. Jesus just said, get in the boat and go to the other side. Where are they absolutely going? Everyone together. Where are they absolutely going? They're going to the other side. He does not say what's going to happen from the one side that they're on to the other side. He does not say that. But what does he say? We're going to the, everyone together, so we know that we're going to the other side because who said it? Jesus, God, just said we're getting in a boat and we're going to the other side. Brother Shetler, don't treat us like kindergartners. No, but let me tell you something. We take a promise of God and then our water gets a little stirred up, a little storm comes, and then we stop believing what God says. Are you with me? All right, so look what happens now. Now, it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. Why did he fall asleep? Because he was tired, he was a man. And number two, he knew where they were going. He knew, I go to sleep because we're going to the other side. Okay, you all with me? But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and there were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. That he, then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water that they obey him. Well... I've been known this weekend for my trick questions. I got another one. Everyone together. Did the disciples in the boat, in the ship, have faith? Everyone together. Did the disciples have faith? Did those disciples have faith? <laughs> You're getting, you've heard me long enough to know whatever you think the answer is, the other answer is the right answer, okay? All right? Did those disciples have faith? They did? What did they believe in? They got in the boat, yeah, they did. But what did they think was going to happen to them? They thought they were going to die. So they lost their faith. They did lose their faith 
in what Christ said. But they didn't lose faith. They had incredible faith. What was their faith in Liberty Baptist? Their faith was in the what? The storm. They believed the storm was going to overtake them. Do you notice the question that Jesus asked? What is the question? He didn't say, why don't you guys have faith? He did not say that. What did he say? Where is your faith? All right, F. You put your faith in God and his word. You will never overcome anxiety until you get the right object of your faith. I want, I, everyone needs to hear that again. Whoa. <laughs> it's the fall, so I just had a nice trip. Okay. Listen, I haven't done that in a long time. I didn't get my nap this afternoon. Okay. Listen, you will never overcome anxiety unless you have the right object of your faith. Where is your faith is the best question to start this whole situation. He didn't say they didn't have faith. He said, where is your faith? You don't have the right object any longer. You have now believed in the storm more than what I said. What did I tell you guys? We're getting in the ship and we're going to the other side. You lost your faith in my word and you put your faith in the storm. Now, tell me, how many of us know people that used to put their faith in God and now they believe science? And I definitely put that in quotation marks. Now they believe in COVID-19. They have stopped believing in God and they have started believing in something that they now fear. Are you with me? What, where is your faith? You put your faith in God and his word. Now, my life verse is Isaiah 41.10. God gave it to me my senior year in college, and I won't go into the whole story why the Lord gave it to me, but I am telling you, this verse has guided my life. Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Jim, Jim, put your trust in me. Brother Shelley, do you struggle with fears? Sure. Yes, sir. Do, do you ever have problems with stress and anxiety? I do. How do you get over it? I start with the right object of my faith. And I'm going, you know what, Lord? I'm stressing all out over this thing right now. I'm all anxious about this. And you know why, Lord? I'm trying to make something happen instead of trusting in you and what you've called me to. And I need to stop trying to figure this whole thing out. And I need to get the right object of my faith. I'm telling you, you will never overcome fear, anxiety, and stress until you find out the object of your faith and it's got to be, here it is, F, faith 
in God and his word. Faith in God and his word, and that'll help you overcome stress and anxiety. E, E, this is a good one. Examine the facts. Examine the facts. Ignorance is the brother to fear. If you do not examine things, you will live afraid all of your life. Examine the situation. Next to that, put down Joshua chapter number 6. Joshua chapter 6. Anyone know what happens in Joshua 6? You all do, but does anyone know the story of Joshua 6? That's the story of Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Joshua 6 is Jericho's battle. Now, we, we don't have time tonight, but do you know that there's a word in Joshua 6, and I love doing this. I love doing this with young people. I have opened their Bible to Joshua 6. Find the word in that chapter that's found more in that chapter than any other chapter in the entire Bible. There's a word that's found more in Joshua 6 than any, any and they, you know, immediately they go like, the, no, it's not the, you know, or, or they'll, they'll say something, and then they'll start reading it. They say, trumpet, trumpet, ooh, that's a good one. There's trumpets quite a bit, because that's what they use, the shofars, the trumpet to blow, and then compass, compass, they compassed about, ooh, four times compass, yeah, that's good, that's a good one. And they say, Joshua, most times, no, 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 no. You know what word it is? It's the word ark. There's no chapter in the entire Bible that has the word ark in it more than Joshua 6. What was supposed to happen, what did happen was the ark went in front of all the warriors. And they had to keep their eyes on the, uh, on the ark and the ark led the way. Does anyone know what the ark represents? The ark of God. Does anyone know what it represents? The presence of God. The ark represents the presence of God. So here's what they were supposed to do. One time for six days, they were to walk all the way around the city of Jericho. Now, the walls are like 90 feet high, and they're about 12 feet wide. This is a big place. And they are to walk around one time, for six days, they're not allowed to say anything. So you know that there was no women with them. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just, I'm just teasing, ladies. Let me tell you, I talk a lot more than my wife. Let me tell you that. They were supposed to walk around the city one time for six days. Everyone together? On the seventh day, how many times were they supposed to walk around it? Seven times. So in the course of a week... They walked around a city that took about 30 to 45 minutes to walk all the way around it. They walked around it 13 times. They weren't allowed to say anything. The Ark of the Covenant was in front of them, and they walked all the way around it. Why? Why? God told them. I like that. But God has a reason. Why does God... Have these warriors walk around that city 13 times in one week. They can't say a word. So what are you looking at the whole time? Either you're looking at the ark 
or you're looking at the walls. Would you agree? Or once in a while, you may be looking at your feet so you don't trip, you know, okay. So you're looking either, you're looking at the walls or you're looking at the ark and you're not saying anything. Why did God do that? You know why? He wanted to, them to examine. Look at it. Look at it. We don't have a weapon. We don't have ladders. We don't, we don't have a way. Man, I, I'm freaking out. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? We don't have enough manpower. We don't have a weapon. We don't have any way that those walls can be torn down. He wanted them to examine the fear. For them to realize God. And see that ark. God, if those walls come down, that's going to be a God thing. I can't make this happen. Now, I don't know what your fear is. Maybe your fear is spiders. Study spiders. No, I don't know what are you talking about. That's the last thing I want to do is spiders. They freak me out. Then study them. And you will find a few things about spiders. Number one, that you're bigger than them. That you're smarter than them, and you have a shoe. Okay? No, I'm serious. It's a heart attack. We freak out about stuff because we're ignorant about it. Whatever your fear is, examine the fear. And really stop and think, you know what? Should I be afraid of this? And why should I be afraid of this? Listen, listen. You know what freaked us all out about COVID? Because we didn't know about it. We didn't know. We were going like, this is going to kill the whole world. The whole planet's going to die. And the more we learned about it, the less we feared it. Because we knew there's certain things that you can do, that certain things. And I want to tell you, if I deal with someone that has an incredible fear, I start asking questions. And I wrote some down. I want you to get these. So if you got a fear, ask questions. You're going to examine. What's the worst thing that can happen? I can die! And then what? Well, well, I could die. I know, I know. And then what? I'll be in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's silly. Don't be going like that. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? I think we get so afraid. Brother Shetler, I freak out if I have to publicly speak. If pastor says, I'd like to have brother so-and-so close this in prayer. <gasps> What's the worst thing that could happen? I, 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 I don't know. Well, I won't say the right things. Well, who are you praying to? The people at Liberty or God? You know what? We start examining our fear. And we start realizing, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be so afraid of this. God had them walk around those walls. You, you look at those walls. And you put your trust in me. How do you overcome a fear? You examine the fear. What's the worst thing that can happen? Number two, why am I afraid of this? Why am I so... Why do I freak out with spiders or mice? Or what? Come on, it's a mouse. I will kill that thing. 
But now I got to tell you, Jim Shepler, have you ever been afraid of a mouse? Yes, I have. Man, I've got to tell you, well, in, in our house, we lived out in two and a half acres of desert out there in uh, Lancaster. And I remember we, we had a mouse come through the house, and that mouse came, and I first time that mouse, Mary Lee screamed, and I saw the mouse just run by, and I freaked out. And then, but then, but then, I examined this. I said, Jim, I don't think the mouse is that big a danger to you. All right? I think that mouse is way more afraid of you than you are of it. I think you can handle this, Jim. You can go to Lowe's and you can get a little trap and put some peanut butter on it and you can get the trap and you can get the mouse. And you know what we did? And within 24 hours, our little mouse was gone. You know what? Seriously, though, we start examining our fears and we think, you know what? Who can help me with this? Who do I know that I'm going in, my, in this right now? Brother Shetler, you joke with all these things. Well, I just got the doctor told me that I got cancer. And I got to tell you, I'm scared. You know what? I can understand that. I absolutely can. By the way, the Bible says, at what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. So you know what? You get some people together and you get a little prayer group together that's going to pray you through radiation and chemo and whatever else. I'm not diminishing some real threats, but I am telling you, examine it. You know what? When I left that doctor's office and they told me that I had cancer, that has to be one of the scariest days of my life. But Brother Shetler, as I've talked to my doctor, as I've had my pastor, as we've mentioned in prayer in church, and as I've studied this out, I got a strategy. I know what we're going to do with this. And I, and I got some hope, and, and God has given us some medical science, and there's certain chemos that, that hit this cancer well, and, and this is going to happen. And then, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to go to heaven? You know what? We examine the fear. Who can help me with this? Why am I afraid of this? What's the worst thing that can happen? Examine the fear. A. Now, A is the key to the whole thing, Okay. No one will ever overcome their anxiety and stress or fear until they do A. And A is attack it head on. You got to go at your fear. You got to take your fear and you got to go, no, I am going right at my fear. Now, you want a really cool passage for this? Look at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. The longer I live, the more I like the book of Daniel. And I just love this guy, Daniel. But I'm going to tell you, Daniel had three really good friends. And this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego guy, these guys knock it out of the park. Their king, they have a position in the kingdom. And all the governors and the, and the leaders and the sheriffs and all the mayors and all the big wigs of the entire and by the way, Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful world leader there's ever been. No one has, no human being has ever ran the whole world except for Nebuchadnezzar. Basically, the entire world was under Nebuchadnezzar's authority. So this was a big deal. And he gets all of his leaders from every province, from all over the planet to come. He builds this 90-foot statue of gold of himself and he has a band there to worship. And by the way, isn't it interesting? There's always music wherever there's worship. 
whether it's the world's worship or our worship, music is always a part of worship. And so he's got the band all there, and he's telling them, you're all going to bow down to my image, and you're all going to worship me. And that's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego goes, no, we're not doing that. You know what, we'll obey many of the things and you have a lot of customs and a lot of rules and a lot of protocol that we've, we've acquiesced to, but we ain't bowing down to anyone else. We've thought this out already and we're not going to do it. Well, Nebuchadnezzar hears about it and gives the guys another chance. He says, guys, I'm going to uh, play the music again. And they stop Nebuchadnezzar. Now think about this. This is the most powerful person in the world. And they stop him. Look at Daniel chapter 3. This is an amazing passage. And look, and by the way, Christians, we may be coming to this point sometime very shortly in America. And we look at this, and look at what it says in verse 16. So they're all standing there. All three of them are standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not everyone together. What's the next word? careful, full of care. Nebuchadnezzar, we're not stressed out. Nebuchadnezzar, we're not anxious. Nebuchadnezzar, we've already got this figured out. Our God is able to deliver us, and whether he does or doesn't, we will be delivered from you. And we are not bowing down, and we're not full of care over this. We're not freaking out. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to put that fire, I'm going to put that oven up seven. Nebuchadnezzar's freaking out. Nebuchadnezzar's all stressed out because three people wouldn't bow down to his image. But these three do not have fear. And you know why? They attacked their fear head on. One of my dear friends is a missionary pilot he was to Libya, Africa, and now in Alaska for the last 25 years, 30 years. And he flies all the time, and he's been in all kinds of different weather and all kinds of different situations, taking supplies to Eskimos and, and everything. His name is Les Serby. Les Serby said something in a missions conference once, I'll never forget it. He said, no one will ever do anything on a mission field until they attack their fear head on. Whatever they're afraid of, they got to go at it head on. Are they still scared when they do it? Sure. He says, but you will never conquer a fear in your life until you attack your fear head on. Man, I got to tell you something. There is truth to that. Many times in witnessing, I'm scared to death to say something about Jesus. And I'm really afraid. And I'm really scared. And there's only one thing. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Jim, you will be afraid of the next person to witness to them if you don't witness to your neighbor. If you just don't go over there and just attack, but I'm scared. I'm afraid of what they're going to think. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to close the door forever. Just attack your fear head on. And I don't know what your fear may be. I don't know what stresses you out, but you will never conquer your fear until you attack it head on. We got one more and we're done. Brother Scheller, how do you stop freaking out? You put your faith in God and his word. You examine the fear. You attack your fear head on. And then the R. 
I like her. I think the key is attack your fear head on, though. you got to go at it. But you know what I love? I love our request God for help. Request God for help. Casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the God of all peace will give peace to your mind. A peace that passes all understanding. Now think about what he just said there. Be careful. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. I want you to turn to one other passage tonight. Would you turn to Psalm 41? I'd like to have everyone look at this for just a moment. While you're turning, I want to give you another passage. But you turn to Psalm 41. If you took off my, we've been doing a marriage conference this weekend. I can't get it off tonight. But sometimes I can get my my wedding ring off. If you were, if I was able to take my wedding ring off. I don't think I'm going to get it off tonight. Oh, yeah, maybe I will. I did. Rachel, you got a good pair of glasses there? What's on the inside of that wedding ring? My wife put in the inside of her wedding, my, her band to me. Can you see it? First John 4, 16 through 18. Merrily had dated a young man, a good guy. He really was. But it stressed her out. I imagine that. Think about how I would stress somebody out. (laughs) But she lived in fear of this guy all the time. And she broke off the relationship because of that. And she started dating me. And the verse that she claimed was 1 John chapter 4, actually 16 through 18. Do you know what that verse passage says? Perfect love casteth out what? Fear. Perfect love casteth out fear. Do you know how to overcome fear? You do it with love. And when you know that God loves you, you can overcome the fears that you have. No, God loves me. He's got a perfect plan for me. God cares. Perfect love casteth out fear. And I want to tell you, you got to go and ask and request to the God who loves you. Now, Psalm 56.3, you're in Psalm 41. Psalm 56.3, I've already quoted it tonight. At what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, because he careth for you. Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. My youngest son is 29 years old, Drew. He went to school for a couple years with Pastor Caleb and, and Anthony. When Drew was 14 months old, he was walking when he was 10 months old. We have three boys. None of my boys walked that early. At 10 months, he started to walk. But at 14 months, he got a rotovirus. 
And I didn't know what a rotavirus was, but it was a terrible infection, and he wasn't able to keep down any liquids or any food, and he was dehydrating. So we had to take him, and he, had to, he, he, he didn't walk for so many days. He had to learn how to walk all over again. But anyways, we had to take him into Sacred Heart Hospital in Pensacola, Florida. He was in there for 10 days. They put him on an IV. They gave him liquids, and, and they got him somewhat back to normal, and they thought he was good, and they brought him home. Well, I had the deacons come over, anoint him with oil. We prayed over little Drew to be healed. And you know what happened? He got worse. And after being home for two, three days, he got the, it, it, he still wasn't holding anything down. Things were getting worse. And I got to tell you, Marilyn and I didn't say anything. But man, both of us are thinking, we're going to lose our son. It was a Wednesday night. I, had, I, she stayed home obviously with Drew. I went to church and preached, and I came home. Marilee was kind of teary-eyed, and she said, "Jim, I think he's got to go back in." I said, "You know what? I'm going to take him in." She says, "No, not without me." I said, "No, you're staying home. You have spent ten days with that boy in the hospital, and you're wiped out. I'm going to take him in." Now, let me tell you why I knew that. I wanted to take him in because I knew the problem. They weren't going to be able to find a vein. Because it's dehydrated, they weren't going to be able to find a vein to put the IV in. And I knew that was going to be just terrible. And it was worse than I thought. I'll tell you in a minute. But it was just, so I said, no, Marilee, you're going to stay home and get rest. She says, Jim, I want to go to the hot. I said, no, you've been with him too long, too, no, you're staying home. And I knew what was going to happen, and it did. They strapped my boy down on a little board, and they started pulling these cords and trying to get a vein, and they're, they're, they're just poking everywhere. They're jabbing everywhere to try to find a vein. It's got to be 20 minutes. He's looking up at me. He's 14 months old. He is screaming, Daddy, Daddy. And they're poking around, and it was just like, Oh, Lord, I can't handle this. Finally, they found one. They got the IV in. I just went, oh, Lord. And I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying they tried like 12 times. They're just poking everywhere trying to find a vein. They finally got one. They got him on the IV, and we go up. Now, Sacred Heart had just done a new pediatrics wing, so all the rooms were new, and that was nice, but there was nothing really in the rooms. There was a cage, which was the crib, and there was a nightstand, and that was all. There was, no, there, was no, there was no extra bed, or there was no chair or anything. So I just walked around in the room, and I just, you know, I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, God, Drew's going to die in me. Drew's going to die. We're going to lose Drew. And I'm walking around the room, and I just, man, it's like, you know, by now, it's probably 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I just like, oh, Lord. You're going to take my son. And I'm all freaking out and I'm stressed out and I'm scared to death for Drew. And, and it just, oh, just terrible. And I said, man, I got to read a Bible. But Clayton, I forgot to bring my, I didn't bring my Bible. I wasn't thinking about all that stuff. And I saw the nightstand. And I thought, huh, maybe there's a Gideon Bible in there. So I start going through the drawers. And then the first one's got band-aids or whatever in it, you know, and I'm going all the way down. Bottom drawer, I open it up. There it is. Thank you, Lord. I pick it up. Book of Mormon. Oh, that ain't going to work, let me just tell you. Book of Mormon. I say, Lord. And I look down one more time, and I move some stuff out of the way, and there's a light blue 
Gideon Bible, Psalms and Proverbs, New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. I went, thank you, Lord. I got rid of the Book of Mormon. And I got that Bible. And I started, and I don't know, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, I just start reading. I just go to the Psalms, and I just start reading. I just got to get something from the Word. And I'm reading along, and I don't remember. I think it really was about an hour. And I get to Psalm 41. And I read Psalm 41, verse 3. Now, you guys got to see this. This is so cool. And I read Psalm 41, verse 3. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou will make all his bed in his sickness. And I took that Gideon Bible and I pointed to the verse and I said, God, right here. Right here, God. I'm asking you. I am so afraid I'm going to lose my son. I'm so stressed out. Man, I ain't got so much anxiety. But I take that verse and I say, Psalm 41.3, Lord. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. And languishing was the perfect word to describe what he was going through in that rotavirus. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou will make all his bed in his sickness. God, you got to do it. And that night in Sacred Heart Hospital, in that room, I got on my knees and I claimed Psalm 41.3 for my son. And I want to tell you tonight, God answered that prayer. And Drew was healed. Drew was able to come home within three days. And I'm telling you, Drew was healed. So he came home. He was doing better. We got him walking again. And, and I don't remember the exact day. But I think he, we were, he was home for about four or five days. And, but he was healed. He, I mean, he was healed. And Marilee and I were sitting in the family room. One night, and I said to Mary Lee, I said, hey, honey, I, I totally forgot to tell her about Psalm 41.3. And I said, hey, honey, I've been wanting to ask you, when did you think Drew was going to be healed? <gasps> Jim, I didn't tell you. No, no. Yeah. No, no, you didn't. But when do you think, oh, Jim, just a minute. And Marilee goes, I said, honey, let me tell you. She said, wait a sec, wait a sec, Jim. And Marilee comes out of the bedroom and she's got her Bible. And she says, you know that Wednesday night that you went in? I said, yeah, I, I want to tell you about that. She said, just a minute, I got to show you something. Jim, you know, you wanted me to sleep. Well, I didn't sleep. My son's dying at Sacred Heart. I didn't go to sleep. So I started reading the Bible. I said, yeah, I did too. It's Sacred Heart. She said, yeah, 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 Jim, you got to see this. I was reading and I was reading in Psalms. And Jim, you got to see this verse I marked right here. Psalm 41, verse 3. And I said, no way. She said, Jim, listen to this verse. The Lord will strengthen, and I finished the verse. And she says, you know the verse? I said, Marilee, Wednesday night at Sacred Heart, God gave me the exact verse that is the exact verse that God gave me that night that Drew would be healed. And she said, wow, that's amazing. And I want to stand here and tell you this. You put your faith in God and his word. 
you examine the fact, you attack your fear head on, and you request God to help you, and I'm going to tell you something. Your trust in God. We live in a very stressful society, folks. And the more we kick God out of our lives, the more anxious we're going to become. Now, I challenge you this morning to get into his word every day this week. One, and take away something. Listen, this book isn't just written to Jim. This book is written for you. And if you want to overcome the fears, the anxiety, and the stress of our culture and our society, can I encourage you to put your faith in God and his word. Examine the fear. What are you freaking out about? Attack it head on by love. Perfect love casteth out fear. And ask God to help you. Ask God to help you. We get all upset with the liberal government we have. And we just, oh, I did it. But yet we keep saying, the government's got to do this. The government's got to do this. We need to stop looking to the government and start looking to God. And we need to ask God to help us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't know what you may be going through right now in your life. I don't know if you're stressed out. I don't know if you're anxious. But I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to get up from your seat, come on down here and say, God, I'm attacking it head on. This thing has paralyzed me. This area of my life I have never conquered. I have always been so afraid. Lord, I am a child of God. I know I am. The worst thing that could happen to me is the best thing that could ever happen to me. I know I'm going to heaven. And God, I am not living with faith in you. I am living with a faith in my fears. Where is my faith? It hasn't been in you, God. It hasn't been in your word. Okay, so I'm really freaking out about this lump. Examine it. Get it. Find out about it. I'm really freaking out about my bank account. It's just going, inflation's just, I, I don't know if, and you know what? I'm going to attack this head on. I'm going to examine the facts. I'm going to ask God to help me. And you know what? I'm going to put my faith in God and his word. And I'm going forward. I'm going to get back up and I'm going, I'm not going to live paralyzed in fear. I want to encourage you, Liberty Baptist. Our world needs to see believers living by faith, not by fear. You want to witness to people? Then have the joy of the Lord and live by faith, not by fear. So I want to ask you to do something tonight. If there is an area in your life that is bringing anxiety, it may be a relationship, it may be a financial, it may be a health, I don't know what it is. It may be your marriage. We went through this whole weekend, and you're going, man, I'm more anxious now. I'm more, I've, I'm stressed out. I don't know what's going to happen with our family and this and that. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to come down to this altar and request God for help. At what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now, I know we're kind of end towards the end of the pandemic. But still, some of us, 
we live constantly under fear, and I know that's not what God wants. That's how this world is controlling us, folks. This world is controlling us by fear. we got to start living by faith. And you've got to attack your fear head on. And you've got to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I, str- I get stressed out at this, but Lord... I'm laying it at the altar. I'm asking you to help me. I will be willing to attack it head on. Please be with me. I'm going to start educating myself more about this. And I'm going to get a verse and I'm going to hold on to it. And God, we're going forward. Where is your faith? It's in my God. And I want him to know that. If God has spoken to your heart tonight, can you get up from your seat? and come down to this altar and leave your fear at the altar and go back in faith. God, I got a good plan now. F-E-A-R. I can do this.